fresh word of God. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you notice again, the books on the shelf, we're just making our way through the Old Testament. And the section that we're in right now is the poetical books. And so if you're new tonight, notice the divisions in the Old Testament. You have the books of the law. There were five of those, the Pentateuch, which is five, five books. And then we covered, of course, a historical section, which was a lot of books there in the second section of the Old Testament of the Bible. And then we come to this section we're in, which really is tonight and next Sunday. And uh, of course, this tonight is also uh, the writings of Solomon, David's son. But uh, we looked at the book of Proverbs, which wasn't just Solomon, but there were others. And so we're in this poetical section. The Bible's a wonderful book. Uh, it's, it is a treasure, and it's a bottomless pit, and I love the literary masterpiece that the Bible is. And so tonight, let's get into our study, and notice the title of the book that you would see is Ecclesiastes. The, the title I would give is The Ancient Wisdom for Modern Man. People act like the Bible is outdated, but can I tell you that God's Word is always applicable and it is always fitting no matter when you are alive. And it is wisdom for us in the current day that we live in. And there is much we can gain from it. Hopefully God will teach you something tonight. The name Ecclesiastes, the word itself means preacher. Uh, my Bible, maybe yours is the same way. At the beginning of it, right above chapter 1, mine says Ecclesiastes or the preacher. So this is what Solomon this book, book is about what he gathered, how he brought the people together, and then he preached to them. It's really a sermon. Now look at this. It's a sermon describing his backsliding. How would you like that? I've never done that, Brother Flynn. I've never preached a message about my sin. I've preached messages on sin that included my sin, but I've never uh, gone this direction that God had Solomon writing about his own backsliding. And so this is a dramatic autobiography of his life when he got away from God. Now the truth is, all of us probably could write our own autobiography about times where we were not walking with God, but we got away from the Lord. The contents of the book Ecclesiastes is a confession of failure and pessimism. When God is excluded, when man lives under the sun, and of course he forgets, for the most part, what is over the sun, which is the eternal and abiding things. So, you know, the reality is, look, we get so busy in our lives that we tend to forget about God. It's all about us. It's all about what we can get out of life. And, you know, listen, if you are, if you are older listening to me tonight, chances are you're probably and have already been thinking about what's over the sun. But can I challenge and encourage some that may not be older? You know, I was talking to Brother Flynn the other day, and somebody was in the conversation that was 89 years old, and Brother Flynn said that, young man. <laughs> when you're 900 years old, everyone's young, all right? But here's the thing is, if you're young tonight, don't wait until you get older to understand what is over the sun. Hopefully you understand what I'm saying. 
uh, look, set your affections not on things on this earth, but on things which are above. We had such a sweet time. We had some folks uh, stay and we had a meal with them and uh, some folks that have been coming, some folks that were newer here. We try to get around, try to fellowship, and if we have it with you, we'd love to try to do that in the days ahead. But there was a young man, I believe, if I remember right, Brother Kenny, I think he was a sophomore in high school. And he said, he said, you know, he said, I really, I wish I could say the exact words, but it was something like this. I, I, lo- I like your church because when I come, he said, I find it so friendly and inviting. And that's the way church is meant to be. A place where people, now look, I want people to feel comfortable. But I'll tell you, if you come to church, you might be comfortable around the people. But as you hear God's word, it may cause you to feel uncomfortable. By the way, that's what it should be. Because even though we're saved, we're still prone to wander. So Solomon, as he's writing this sermon, sharing it with others, okay, he's talking about the life that he lived under the sun and at times he excluded or forgot about what was over the sun or who was over the sun. Now look at this, if you want to know what a man of great privilege and of great learning and great wisdom can come to, then read this record of a man who, put, who has put God out of his actual life. It's pretty sad. By the way, God's given us this wisdom for modern life. I don't want to be that kind of man. I don't want to put God out. I want to understand the wisdom. The book exposes the vanity of all worldly enjoyments to show that man's happiness does not lie in natural wisdom and knowledge, nor in worldly wealth, nor in civil honor, power, and authority, nor in religion, but in the single God and the worship of Him. (laughs) That is where man's happiness comes from. It's from God Himself. So in this book, we learn that without Christ, we cannot be satisfied, even if we possess the whole world. And Solomon was a man, no doubt, that had it all, But listen, he knew something was missing. And he who dies with the most toys does not win. All right, the world would have you to think that. And so I want you to see the chart. I think you have it on the last page there. And so you can see the chart as as it's put up here. Or you can look on your page, might give you a little bit more help. And uh, go ahead and pop that up. One more there, chart, chart. There you go. And so notice here, it's uh, 12 chapters, and of course, as you go through it, uh, go back up just a little bit, Tyler, there you go. And so uh, as we go this way, notice some of the personal pursuits. Look at this list here, dealing with knowledge, the amusement, the possessions, the madness, the folly, the labor, the philosophy, the riches. Notice the word next to it, vanity. We'll talk a little bit about that word here. But from those personal pursuits, we see some of the conclusions he comes to without God's help that humans cannot discover what is good for them to do without God's revelation. They do not know what will come after them. And then you can see the, the sections after it. Of course, the warning to the young, a picture of, an, of the old age, a final admission, and then the end of the search. And you come to chapter 12, and here's the words that we need to hear. Heed, 
fear God, obey Him, and someday it is evident and it is sure that you will face God and give an account of the life that you lived. I told a man yesterday that trusted Christ as a Savior at the age of 74. I said, listen, one day you'll stand before the Lord, and because God has saved you and He has redeemed you, and when God now looks at you, He doesn't see you as the sinner you were he sees the shed blood of his own dear son, and God will not hold you accountable for what happened before you got saved, but he will hold you accountable for what happens from the moment you trusted him as Savior until the day he calls you home. And I told that 74-year-old man, I said, that could be a year, it could be 10 years, it could be 20 or more years, however long gives you, uh, however long God gives you you will give an account of the life that, that God has given to us. So let's look here at some of the aspects of this book. And again, the character of it is its poetical philosophy as God allows Solomon to give us some wisdom for modern man. The subject is the experience of a man who tried everything under the sun to satisfy his heart and found that it was all vanity and vexation of spirit. And so again, we, we see these words and we take him to heart that all of it, not some, all of it was vanity and vexation of spirit. The purpose of the book is to spare us. I love this. God, in his grace and mercy, he has given us this book so that we can read it, we can glean from it to spare us the bitterness of learning through experience that nothing under the sun really satisfies the human heart apart from God. We are shown our purpose in being in this world. Uh, look, if you're a parent, you're probably like my wife and I, we have made our own share of mistakes as, as adults, as human beings, as a father and mother, and listen, we've tried to teach our children things, why? Because we want to spare them some of what we experienced ourselves. Well, God gives us this book about Solomon's life and how he got away from God to spare us. Aren't you glad God will do that for us? He gives us some warnings and some, some things that we need to pay attention to along the way. Notice one of the last verses in the book here, chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He says, fear God, keep his commandments. For this, fearing God, keeping his commandments, is the whole duty of man. There's this family that's been visiting couple weeks now their their uh, son I think goes in the back with the children and their daughter is young and she, I think she stayed in here with her mom and dad and uh, she said to me on the way in this morning she said she goes I'm going to obey my mom today and I said that's awesome I said I wish everyone did that and so after church they were on their way out the door and and I, I reached down to shake her hand and I said how did you do and she said I only disobeyed twice <laughs> and I said well that's pretty good for an entire church service and I looked up at mom and I said aren't you glad that she's listening and she's trying to obey you because she knows it pleases you do you know it pleases God when we obey him when we fear him the way that we should and the Bible says this is the conclusion of the whole matter. In other words, folks, life. Life is all about fearing God and keeping his commandments, doing what he asks you to do. 
It's that simple. It boils down to that. That's the conclusion, and Solomon gives this to us here. Look at the outline. Three ways I divided the book here. First, it starts with a declaration. Notice all of this is around the word vanity. He says there in chapter 1, all is vanity. Then it becomes the demonstration. And he demonstrates to us how not only does he declare it, but he demonstrates how vanity, it's the vanity of doing and the vanity of having. You know, every time my wife and I have moved, and it's been many times, and we'd, we'd just be, I'll be honest with you, we'd be happy if we never had to move again. I pray that our next move would be heaven. That'd be fine with me. But every time we've moved, we kind of got this philosophy. As we're getting ready to pack up our possessions, if we've lived here for X amount of years and it's been in the closet, it's been in the garage, we haven't touched it, then let's just get rid of it. It's not worth having. We're pack rats. We hang on to everything. But it's for sure you can't take it when you go, right? You came into this world with nothing except your birthday suit. And you're going to leave this world with nothing. Now, hopefully, all of you will leave this world with Jesus in your heart. All right? So he says here, I'm going to demonstrate to you. By the way, we ought to learn from how... He demonstrates the vanity of life. And then he concludes here in chapter 7 to 12 how he, you and I can be delivered from vanity. I love the focus of the turning of it and how his eyes were on the earth. And as it gets to the end of the book, he starts to lift his eyes upward. And he's delivered from the vanity of being and using life well and the source of true living that we see in chapter number 12. Now, many believe the scope of the book was written in maybe in an extended period of over 250 years, talking about the life of Solomon, the span there, give or take some years. But the writer of it, of course, was King Solomon, the son of David, one of David's many children. And the Song of Solomon was written in the glory of his first love. And so we'll see that next week, the Song of Solomon, that book, the book of Proverbs we looked at last week was actually written in the height of his glory and wisdom. And then the book we're looking at tonight, Ecclesiastes, many believe was written in the late in his old age. And it was written as a testimony of genuine repentance. So really, when you look at Solomon's life, it's kind of broken up in these three books that we call in our Bible, three different phases of Solomon's life. So this particular book, was one that was written as Solomon had lived and experienced and realized that all is vanity. And it becomes a book of genuine repentance. Now, who did he write this to? Notice he wrote it to his subjects in particular and really mankind in general. Uh, you can learn so much from this book. When was it written? Well, many believe that, it was, that as he began to write, it was somewhere 950 to 930 B.C., and, of course, uh, again, the span, the years, maybe vary by a year or two. Uh, I'm not going to be dogmatic on that. Where was it written from? Of course, in the city of Jerusalem, where he spent much of his time. And the key chapter is chapter number 12, the conclusion of the entire message that he preached. And this was a call 
to remember God. That's what we just did with the Lord's table, was we remembered the Lord, we remembered His death, burial, and resurrection, and here in this book, we can remember God and the importance of Him in our lives. The key verses, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? What profit? You know, ever heard the saying, one man's junk is another man's treasure? You know, you ever, had a, you ever put on a garage sale? And you sold something at the garage sale and you put a dollar on it and you knew when you bought that you paid like $70 for it? And you're like... Ay, 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 right? It's not worth anything. What profit? See, one thing is for sure that the natural man can look forward to his death and he can look forward to giving his account of himself to God. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, listen to these two verses. Verse 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. The Bible says, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. That's what's going to happen. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Genesis, the Bible tells us God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into him, and man became a living soul. God's a giver of life. But the Bible reminds us here in this book of vanity and vexation of spirit, that in chapter 12 and verse 7, the dust shall return to the earth as it was. And the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And the Bible says in that same chapter, in verse 14, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. God knows all things. And so understand that our life, we will give an account. That's why the Bible says there, in those key verses, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Now the key word, you've probably guessed it, vanity. 37 times in 12 chapters, the word vanity is given. And the, another word for the word vanity is the word empty. That's what it is. The emptiness of life. You know, people look around, they have all these things, and yet... I find that people that have all these things are the most miserable people I've ever met. And so vanity is mentioned. Now look at some of the phrases that we see here. The first one is the words, under the sun. You also see this phrase uh, about 29 times, apart from God. You see the words, under the sun. You see the words, upon the earth, seven times. Vanity of vanities, three times. Vexation of spirit seven times. And then you see this phrase seven times, I communed with mine own heart. You know, just sat there in my heart thinking about life. You know, things really come into perspective. I witnessed to that man yesterday, and by the way, the man I keep referring to was Carol Honeycutt's brother. He's 74 years old. When he... Um, I, have, I really don't have a whole lot of idea about who Sonny was. That was his name. 
I don't know the kind of life Sonny lived. When he showed up, I'd met him before. He got out of the car right here in front of the church. As he stepped out of the vehicle, this is what he said to me. He said, I need to talk to you today because I need to get saved. That's what he said. So we talked for a little bit out there, and he said, uh, my sister's been telling me that I need to get saved. I said, okay, we'll find some time. So we went out to the <clears throat> cemetery after we had the homegoing service here. After the ceremony there at the graveside, he walked over to me. He goes, I know you're busy, but I'd like to talk to you today about getting saved. I said, we'll find some time. We came back to the church. <clears throat> I was walking around. I, I, I saw him. He was eating and talking with his sister and some other friends of Brother John's. And so I walked in, I noticed he was about done eating. I walked in there, and I walked up behind him, never said a word. And Carol says, Sonny, the pastor's here waiting on you. And so he got up, we went into the office, and we sat down, and I began to tell him about how God loves him. Christ died for his sins, and that he needs to trust the Lord as his Savior. I asked him questions, shared scripture with him. I asked him many times, do you understand this? And I looked at him and I said, Sonny, would you like to ask the Lord to be your Savior? And he said, yes, I would. And I said this to him. I said, Sonny, if you're going to ask Jesus to be your Savior because your sister told you you should get saved, you're doing it for the wrong reason. And he said, no. He said, it's time. He said, I've put it off too long. He said, I want to take care of this now. And so he bowed his head in my office, and he prayed, and he asked the Lord to be his Savior. See, he came to the conclusion. I've lived my entire life missing something. And I said to him after he, after he accepted Christ, I said, Sonny, you're going to have one regret. You're going to wish you did this a long time ago. And he said, yes, he goes, I would agree with you. So as you look at the thought here, the thought is the vanity of earthly life. Well, we see this even in the New Testament. Look at the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 there, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God, say those last three words, abideth forever. That is the key right there. Spiritual thought, look at this. Happiness and hopefulness are impossible apart from God. You'll never be happy. You'll never have true hope without the Lord. And that's why I hope everyone here tonight knows Christ as their Savior. Some things that are unique, I went this direction with this book, and I call it Life Lessons. There's so many of them. 
And there's just a little bit that I'll show you, and I've given you the references. You can look these up yourself. But in chapter 1, you see the wonder of creation mentioned right there as it begins. In chapter 1, we also see that there is nothing new under the sun. You know, look, no matter what it is, it's, it's not new. You know, things, things cycle. And then notice chapter 2, the understanding of what is profitable. Chapter 2 and maybe in 17 and also in chapter 19, the importance of wisdom. Chapter 3, we also see in chapter 8 and 9, to everything there is a season. Probably the greatest passage of that is in chapter 3. Chapter 4 and chapter 7 deal with calmness and stillness. We need that in our lives. We see in chapter 5, keeping the vows you make to God. The Bible says that it's better to have never vowed a vow than to vow a, God, a vow to God and not keep it. So listen, God doesn't break his promises, and we shouldn't break ours either. Make sure whatever it is that you keep those vows that you make with the Lord. And then chapter 5, fear the Lord. Chapter 9, the value of hard work. Boy, that's, a lost, that's lost in society today. The value of hard work. I've talked to so many people, Brother Tim, that have come by here to do work and businesses and, and different things, and every one of them's looking for, for people to work for them. Said, I just can't get people. And if I get some, they, just, they don't want to work. And right here, he, he teaches us about the value of hard work. Chapter 10, watch your words. <laughs> We've talked about it before. James talks about that, about that tongue and how important every word that we say. So not only hard work, but our words. And then chapter 11, there's no perfect timing for anything. You know what people do? Just like we see Agrippa with Paul, people just put things off, procrastinate. You know, what God prompts you to do, do it. You know, don't put it off. And then chapter 11, we see God's supremacy. Also in that chapter, the power of diversification. And then we see in chapter 12, as we've mentioned earlier, discovering there in verse number one, discover God early in life. I was sitting up here and I saw Rye come in. You know, Rye's going to the University of M, Miami, right? And uh, he's there as a student, and we've missed him. He's been away, been up north. I don't know what you do up north, but we're glad he's back. And uh, hopefully he had a good time while he was there. But listen, that's a rarity to see a young person sitting in church. I commend him. I commend any of these kids that are in church. I know a lot of these kids are saying, my mom and dad make me. You know? Listen, we we used to drug our kids. We drug them to church every time church doors were open. You know, and so some of you will get that later on after church is over with. All right, pastor's drugging his kids. All right, notice some ways that Christ is magnified, and uh, I like these. In Ecclesiastes 9, we see Christ magnified as the poor wise man. Say, pastor, what's that about? Look at these verses. The Bible says right here in this book, there was a little city and few men within it, and there came a great king against it and besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was a found in it, in the city, a poor wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. 
kind of reminds me of what John wrote. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And we see Christ magnified also in chapter 12 as the creator there in verse number one. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And so we see him magnified as the creator God. Now, in conclusion to this book, in chapter 12, verse 13, we've looked at this verse already, the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God, keep his commandments. Why do I bring this up? Because as we think about this, we would find out later that as we study the word of God, here's what we see. Jesus was the only one who perfectly obeyed the commandments of God, and he was the only one who has ever lived a sinless life. And we see that. That is what God wants for us. Now, look, none of us are going to be sinless, but what we ought to do is sin less. You get it? And live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. And what a great example we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter 12, verse 14, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And the reason we look at this verse again is because as we study the Word of God in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the light of the world, and it is through Him that all the deeds of humanity will be exposed. Uh, God will bring all things to light, and we see this in the Word of God. So again, what does this mean for us? As Jesus will expose the deeds of mankind, notice Jesus is the one that rescues us from the meaninglessness of life that Solomon talked about. He rescued us. He lived a perfect life, and he took away the curse of sin. And thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ, how he restores us to a life that is meaningful. Listen, never, never be discouraged and know for a fact that God, who has saved you, has a purpose for your life. God has a plan and he has a will for your life. And with Jesus, we have life. He's the giver of life and we can have life to the full. Life does not have to be vanity. It doesn't have to be empty. It can be full, but life apart from God is meaningless. And so hopefully you understand the wisdom. And again, let me remind you, this is, this is wisdom not for those back in Solomon's day only, but this is wisdom for modern man today. And may we understand the conclusion of the whole matter. What is it? Fear God and obey him. Keep his commandments, all right? And listen, let's practice that this week, all right? Fear God, keep his commandments. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. What a sweet time we had remembering your death and your burial, your resurrection. Well, Lord, what you did for us. Lord, we did not deserve the gift of eternal life. We did not deserve that you would give of yourself, but we are so glad and grateful for the privilege, for the unspeakable gift that you gave your only son who willingly laid his life down for us. And we're thankful for the word of God and the wisdom that we can glean from it Lord, as we go out into this sinful world this week, Lord, help us to live a life 
is that is one that has a reverential awe and fear of who you are. And God, help us. Help us, Lord, I know your spirit wants to help us to obey you in everything you ask of us. And God, as we said this morning, when we step over that line and we step out of the control of the Holy Spirit, may you help us by your spirit to get back in line with you that our lives would please you. Thank you again for this wonderful day that we've had, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a great week.